We're going to close up, uh, conclude uh, our study on Josiah, and we're going to move into a study on the subject of kindness. It's been weighing on my heart. I think, I think you'll get something out of it. The Lord's got plenty for us to study on that subject. But uh, I've got just a few slides here that we're going we're gonna to cover for our conclusion. Um, and we've been more batteries. Thank you, brother. I don't know why this thing gives me fits all the time, but, you know, gives you time. First Kings, you know, chapter 23. First Kings chapter 23 is where we've been, and we've been talking about Josiah and the action steps that Josiah has been taking to clean house. And I'm on now. Okay, wonderful. Thank you, brother. And uh, we're getting things in order here. So we're going we're gonna to look at, like I said, the conclusion here. Verse 17 of 1 Kings 23 says, Now, Josiah's gone north to clean house. He's moving up into the territory Israel uh, had. And he's already kind of cleaned house in the southern kingdom. And now he's heading north. And in his, in his um, move up north, he runs into a grave site. And he says, what title is that I see? He's talking about the, what's on the, on the grave itself. And he said, it is the sepulcher. I might as well just. It is the sepulcher of the man of God, which came from Judah and proclaimed these things that thou hast done against the altar of Bethel. Here's what's amazing about that statement. That was 300 years ago. So the man of God under Jeroboam preached the message that a king by the name of Josiah would come and take care of business. And that's what, because it's, it's on the gravesite about the man of God, and he's, he's curious. Now remember, he's been taking the gravesite, graves, and the bones of these men, and he's been pulverizing them to dust, and then scattering them as a way of uh, defiling everything around him. Or he's been taking the bones and burning them. But he gets to this grave, and he sees that insignia on the grave, and he's like, hey, what, what's this about? And then one of his servants tells him, hey, it was about a prophecy about you. And that thing was 300 years prior. So, and he prophesied that Josiah would clean house and burn the bones of those priests. Here's the verse, and this is 1 Kings. This is under Jeroboam. So 300 years ago, verse 13, chapter 13, verse 2, he says, Behold, a child shall be born unto the house of David, Josiah by name. Isn't that something? I mean, now, I know the scripture deniers will say, well, they took that after it happened and they put it back in the chapter and, you know, to make it look like it was fulfilled. You know how this works. I mean, and people that don't want to believe that God knows the end from the beginning, and can write about it and give people that information like he did the man of God. So we, we know better. We know this was written well before it occurred. And it's even by name, Josiah by name. And he says, he, he, and upon thee shall he offer the priests of the high places that burn incense upon thee. And men's bones shall be burnt upon thee. So you see the, the, the prediction or the prophecy is coming true. And... Uh, this, war, this Bible is a book of prophecy. First Peter, or Second Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, if you're to read it, it says that we have a more sure word of prophecy. Now, 
if there's one thing that ought to help build your faith is to see, look back and see how God filled prophecy, but we also have a, a sure word of prophecy of stuff that's coming that gives us encouragement and hope that God's, ultimately we know God's in control and ultimately we know our end. And we have plenty of prophecy that's still yet to be fulfilled. And so this is a book of prophecy because God knows the end from the beginning. And there he had a man of God speak of Josiah by name. Again, Josiah has been given that title by God that there was no king like him before and no king after him. That's, that's what started this whole study. I wanted to know more about Josiah and everything he did. So we talk about scripture, and it says there's approximately 32,000 verses in the Bible. And it's been said that there's about 8,000 prophecies. So one in four of the verses would be related to a prophecy or prediction. And in this case, we've got, you know, 1 Kings is 930, this, this, this statement we read in 1 Kings 13. But the time frame of Josiah is 609 B.C. So we've got 321 years later, and that prediction comes true. So you take the prophecies of the Masonic prophecies of Jesus Christ. The, there's supposed to be 48, I believe, prophecies that were fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Now, those prophecies were written well before uh, Christ showed up in the earth. In fact, the Word of God was sealed, the Old Testament, 400 years. There's a period of silence before Christ showed up. Some of those prophecies go back much further than 400 years. And yet we see 48 of those prophecies fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. Mathematical probability of that happening is 10 to the 157th power. Now, for those mathematicians in here, they know better that that's a number that you cannot comprehend. To give you a little insight about how big that number is and the odds of that happening, to 10 to the 157th power for 48 prophecies to be fulfilled in one man's life through the specific prophecies is like 10 to the 15th power give you a little glimpse 10 to the 15th power doesn't seem very big but if you were to draw a one inch line with a marker and you were to break down the electrons from the atoms in that one inch line and you were to count those electrons every minute of every day and every night it would take you 19 million years to complete numbering a one inch line of electrons now that's 10 to the 15th can you imagine what 10 to the 157th power? It's, in, it's a mathematical improbability. It can't happen unless there's a God. And God wrote what was going to happen, specifically what was going to happen, when it was going to happen, how it was going to happen, and it got fulfilled exactly. Because God is sovereign, and he knows all things, and he knows the end from the beginning. And he shared that with us, and that ought to give every believer some encouragement. What's he do? Now, by the way, I always say it, it's up there with the prophecy of John the Baptist, which was written 700 years before it came to pass. And so we see prediction after prediction and how things, how God uh, used those things to, uh, to testify of who he was. Isn't it, isn't it interesting that the Pharisees, the ones who had the word of God, who were responsible for declaring the word of God to the people of God, were the ones that missed it. 
I've always been baffled by that. And, you know, I mean, when the miracles were happening, they had plenty of prophecies around Christ and the miracles that take place, and yet they denied it. It just shows to show you the depth of the depravity of man and the blindness. When he doesn't believe God, over time, God blinds him. Now, that's a whole subject in itself. Is you, you just say, well, I don't believe that, God. God says, okay, it's a closed book. How would you like God to say, I'm closing the book on you. You're not going to see it. And it, it goes right before your very eyes, and you can't see it. A sleep, a slumber, the Bible refers to it, like Israel today cannot see it. They can't see Isaiah 53. They're blind to it. We look and say, wow, we marvel at that. And they look at it and said, never happened. So it's just amazing about prophecy and what we can learn from it. But what's he do with that gravesite? All the gravesites now that have been defiled and have been destroyed, you know what he does? He leaves that one alone. He said, let no man remove his bones. I thought that was interesting. He said, hey, that boy's talking about me. Don't touch that guy. <laughs> I kind of got a kick out of that one. And uh, so he leaves that gravesite alone because it did prophesy. The man of God prophesied, and it came to pass. So what we have next after Josiah's taken all these action steps, he's cleaned house. It says the king commanded all the people, saying, keep the Passover under the Lord your God. So what followed all the the cleaning house was worship it's an order and i mentioned that a couple uh studies ago that god's order is always clean up and then worship you know get things straight if you got a problem with a brother or sister in christ you got to get that right before you're going to go off and worship god he wants you to you know you got something in your life that's getting in the way it's robbing you of fellowship keeping you from the power of god he wants you to clean house first and then worship him. It's always been the order of God. You know, we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us of sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Then we worship. We have fellowship. We don't have fellowship when we're, we're not doing that. And so the order is proper here. And so he's, he's done this job. He, by the way, he did this at age 26. Now, he started at 20, but he, like I said, he really took action at 20, age 26. And, and in one year, he cleaned house. This boy was serious, and then he goes, now we're going to worship the Lord. Now we're going to take care of the real business. We've got to put away that junk, and we're going to now worship the Lord. In 2 Chronicles 35, 18, and this is an interesting comment, there was no Passover like to that kept in Israel from the days of Samuel the prophet. So it's been a long time. This is before David. So all those years passed by, there had been no Passover like this one. Why? Because all those other Passovers were commingled with a lot of that idolatry, a lot of the mess that was going on that he cleaned up. It's amazing what God can do in your life when you clean house. And I said, every believer ought to spend time. We had the Lord's Supper last Sunday. You know, that's a time, it's a good time to examine yourself, but really every believer ought to be examining themselves often, not just on the Lord's Supper. And say, hey, this might not be going, this may not be what the Lord wants for my life. It may be a, a, a thought process, it may be mental, it may be something physical in your house that's not proper. Whatever it is, it's good to get take that out and then worship the Lord. And here we see that Passover took place, and God says, It's not like nothing we've had since the days of Samuel. And by the way, all of Israel, all of Israel took place to that. Now, what's sad about this. So Josiah reigned 31 years, started at 8, he dies at 39. 
so at the ripe old age of 39, he gets killed in battle. Now, I told my, I was talking to my wife about it. I said, you know, Josiah got killed in battle at age 39. After doing all that, you thought God would let him live and enjoy some of the fruit of that. But God took him home. And Eileen says, why would God do that? I said, I, I, certainly I don't know. But it seems like when God says your, your job is done, your job is done. He's, he's finished. He said, okay, you did what I need you to do. I'm bringing you home. Now, that's a much better alternative. Now, we're looking at it going, oh, man, he should have lived another. What's another 20 years compared to eternity? What does it really matter? And so I thought about John the Baptist. You know John the Baptist? He was born for one reason, to herald in the Messiah. The Lamb of God, to take, which taketh away the sin of the world. When he, when he was done doing that, do you know what happened to him? He got imprisoned and got his head cut off. When he said, he must increase and I must decrease, that's an understatement. He got his head cut off. That's how decreased he was. You say, well, what? Now, he was raised up to do that for God, and then God took his life at, at a age 30, 30, 30, you know, a little less than 31. That doesn't seem fair, does it? And God said, I got a better place for you than 31 years on earth. You did your job just like Josiah did his job, and God, God took him home. And we're not going to understand that probably until we get to heaven and say, oh, okay, now I get it. You know, Bob's in there saying, Marilyn, it's all right. You know, it's this life is just a vapor. When you get here, it doesn't matter if you live 30 years or you live 80 years or you live 100 years. Because eternity's eternity. And puts everything in perspective. That's the only way I could answer my wife's question, which to me, Makes sense that God just takes it when your job is done. I don't know when that job is done. So, you know, Paul said, I fought a good fight. You know, I finished my course. And what is it? Paul got his head cut off. He, he saw that as a merciful step from God. Did you know that? Because that's like, it's over. <laughs> There's no suffering. It's done. Anyways, I don't know why I got on that subject. But anyways, <laughs> it'll help you. Think about it. Uh, Instead of worrying about, you know, when's my time, when's my time. Just serve the Lord, and when he says it's over, it's over. So after cleaning house, they worship the Lord. I, ho I hope and pray that Josiah's been a blessing to you, the study of Josiah. Remember, the, the, the whole theme was Josiah did right, knowing the judgment of God coming. Can't stop it. Josiah still did right because it's right to do right and before God. That's our conclusion on that study. Now we're moving into another subject one that is a work in progress in my life, and probably a few of you, but kindness is really important. Um, I don't know what really triggered this, this study for me. God had been pressing on my heart. I, I came across this verse. This is really what hit home. This hit home big time because it's really easy for me to be kind to people who are kind. Jesus taught, for he is kind, God is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. I was standing in line at a Publix, and this might have triggered it, I don't know. And um, the lady was standing back, and their lines were pretty full, and I saw a line that was open, and I just passed by her, and I had like 15 items. And she's, she's, as I go by her, I hear her uh, yelling to her husband to bring the cart here. 
So her husband's looking for the shortest line. You know Murphy's Law? The shortest line turns out to be the longest. So I go right in front of her. I plop my stuff down, and sure enough, I'm, I'm a, and she, you know, the yellow dividers, reaches over me and slams it down on the, on the thing and then starts taking the stuff in the basket and throwing it down. Finally, I was like, okay. Is there a problem here? <laughs> now, that's sarcastic. You know, I know there's a problem. She's really upset because she, she says, what, you cut in front of me. I said, ma'am, you didn't have a cart. You were way behind there. She had a real kind of a, don't be offended by it. I said, a New York attitude. <laughs> I grew up in Connecticut, New York, but that's, why are you laughing? Because you know, you know. And she had the, the, the Boston, New York, and a, and she, so she starts throwing her stuff there, and, and um, I knew I offended her. And I said, well, this is probably not a good time to give her a track because <laughs> she she's hot. And I finally just said, and I don't know if I said it out of spite, but I was like, ma'am, if you want me to pick my stuff up and you go before me, she goes, it's a little late for that. She's looking for a fight because she's unhappy, whatever, but and I started thinking about it. I probably didn't handle it the best. I didn't say anything, but boy, did I want to. I wanted to give her a piece of my mind. And what I should have said, ma'am, I'm sorry I cut in front of you. Now, that was the proper response. I didn't say that. I, I should have said that and just swallowed my pride and let her go. And, and maybe that would have diffused the situation. But as she was all over me, I wanted to really let go. And I didn't, praise the Lord, because that would have gotten ugly. And ironically, I walk out with my bags. She's still unloading her cart. I thought for 30 seconds, she ruined her day and mine. And I thought to this, the world we live in is so unkind. And everybody's looking for a fight. And everybody's got rights. And everybody seems to be crude today. And... and no care for others and not generous to others and and not you know and I thought you know we live in a world of unkindness and then I thought you know I find it interesting that the world in general associates Christianity with kindness and they should because if there's one trait that we should have characteristic as believers it's kindness why because God is kind but he's not just kind to the kind. He's kind to the ladies, like the lady like was in that line, picking a, ready to pick a fight. Even Eileen's like, what was that all about? I said, she just wanted to fight. Mean-spirited. Don't like people. But Christians, it's an attractive, it's attractive quality. Is it, wouldn't you say that kindness is attractive? I mean, it's, it's beautiful. And when we see it, we're, we're attracted to it, but yet we struggle with it. And when, when you read that word evil there, that word actually means hurtful, causes pain and trouble. This is somebody who causes pain and trouble for you. Annoyances. And we're to be, God's kind to those people. So are we. 
But man, that's, I, I got to tell you, that's a tall order from God. But I also am reminded in Scripture, if I believe it, with God all things are possible. So I have the ability to be kind even though my nature is not kind. I'm ready for a fight too. I got, my ego rises up. It's, that's a whole other subject, pride. But that's, that's the problem. And, but I would tell you that this, this study has really has fascinated me. The more I've dug into it, I just plead with God to help me be that kind of person that's kind. Um, do you consider yourself to be a kind person? Now, don't answer that, <laughs> at least not out loud. Are you thoughtful of others? Are you caring? Are you gentle? Are you just good to others when they're not even good? And I thought that's, that's the definition. You know, we'll look at the definition here in a minute of kind. But do you consider yourself to be a kind person? You say, well, that doesn't really describe me, but I sure do like meeting people like that. Isn't that funny? Like, I know I'm not like that, but I like to be around people like that because it's attractive. It's attractive. I had a, I'll never forget this. Kindness can go a long way. It can be remembered for a lifetime. Just a kind act. One kind act. And so I was a young man. I was just started with Sherwin-Williams. I was working at a store in Hammond, Louisiana. I was by myself. It was Toward the evening, a lady walked in, an old lady, and she needed help. I helped her out. She left the store. I put the paint cans or whatever in her car, and I go back in the store. I notice she's still there. Like Ten minutes later, I walk out. I said, ma'am, is everything okay? She, she's like crying. You could tell she was scared. She said, my car doesn't start, and i got to get home. It's getting dark. And I said, oh, man, I am not mechanically inclined. So this, I'm the last guy that should be working on your car. But, hey, pop your hood. And I go in there, I, I noticed her battery cables were all, you know, junk all over. So I started cleaning them up and, you know, somehow I got her car running by the grace of God. I did a Nehemiah prayer. Lord, you got to help me, man. Seriously. I'm going to help this lady. She needs help. And, and I got, that thing got started. She said, oh, thank you, thank you. And I said, oh, have a great day. Appreciate you. That was like August. Now it's December. It's like 22nd of December. Uh, it's closing time. I got a 55-mile drive home, and I'm thinking to myself, the last thing I need is a customer to walk through that door. I want to go home. That's yeah, the 22nd of December, and sure enough, here comes an older lady coming through. I'm like, oh, now, no offense. Please be careful. I, I know who I'm, the crowd, I know. But I'm just, I'm just being so I want to go home. And she's walking through the door. I was like, oh, here we go. We're going to be picking colors. And we, you know, how many different types of product and what sheen it is. I'm like, it's going to be a two-hour endeavor here where this, this older lady is. She comes walking through there, and as she's walking toward me, she says, you remember me? Like, I'm supposed to remember her. I said, ma'am, I'm sorry I don't remember you. She says, I was the lady, and you fixed my car back months ago. I said, oh, I do remember you. She says, yeah, well, I'm here to give you something. And she opened her purse, and she had this thing about this thick. It was aluminum, wrapped in aluminum. I thought this lady's about to give me her inheritance, man. I, I mean, I'm just a young killer. It's one of those millionaires that's going to give it away to this. 
But he did one kind act. She laid that thing on the counter. She said, I just want to thank you for what you did. Four months prior, you know what that was? It was homemade banana nut bread. I, I could have wept. To this day, I still remember it. I still remember it because it was such a kind act. Like going out of her way to make me banana bread. I don't even remember. And yet she remembered me. And I thought, and the first thing out of my mouth was, not only thank you, but ma'am, you must be a Christian. You must be a Christian. Why? Because we associate kindness, acts of kindness. And I thought, man, God help me in my life to do that. Because somebody's going to remember that kind act. What's even more powerful is doing a kind act towards someone who's not, un- who's not thankful towards you and who can be evil, evil toward you. And we'll get into that whole subject because it, it can be life-changing. But I've never forgot that, that one act. And there's more, but that, that one. And so I always thought, do I consider myself to be a kind person? Well, I always say it's a work in progress. So... Definition of kindness, disposed to do good to others. That's just your nature to do. You want to do good. It's not your nature, but you're disposed to. You're always working on doing that. Make them happy by granting their request, supplying their wants or assisting them in distress. Boy, we got, I could tell you a hundred stories there. Uh, having tenderness, there, that's really, that's sweet. Goodness of nature and then benevolent. So God's definition is do all the above, including to those that are unthankful and to evil. That's really what kindness is a big umbrella. I get it. There's a lot underneath it. And so I started thinking about kindness. Who comes to mind when you think of kindness? Of course, the Lord. I mean, we're going to get we're going to study that, you know. But here on this earth with your experience, who do you think about? when you think about kindness. And most of us are going to think about our moms. Many of us are going to be thinking about our, the grandma. Grandmas just ooze with kindness, right? Well, they're supposed to. <laughs> Not all grandmas are that, <laughs> that sweet, huh? But you, know, you, you, you talk to my girls, and they just, they just rant and rave about Nana, who's passed. What do they rant? Man, Nana was the most kind, tender-hearted person they've ever met that's all they think about when they think about she she left them that that example and so I thought about you know for us it's moms or grandmas but I also thought about Dr. Strange and I was thinking about you know just there's something about kind just gentle everything about him you know God has worked through his life and you can see that and I thought about Pastor Wendell Heller you remember Pastor Wendell Man, is that, that man so kind, gentle, caring, helpful. Like, and he had 50 years of ministry. That's enough to make any man mean. Because you're dealing with people, human nature. And how many times has a pastor been hurt and backstabbed and criticized? That, 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 that stuff will get to you. Next thing you know, you're going to be just like them, mean-spirited. But no, not, not Pastor Wendell Heller. He was as kind and kind as could be. And then I thought about Pastor Bill. 
Now, some of you say, hmm, let me think about that one for a minute. <laughs> Pastor Bill, hmm. Oh, he's as sweet as can be, man. Don't, don't be fooled by the, the hard preaching. Don't, don't, that's as kind as person you're going to meet. But his preaching should be. It's going to let you have it sometimes and help us. You know what? I thought of examples from Pastor Bill. You know, when we talk about kindness, we moved in 2005 from here. And we've just come back, right? It's been a little over a year. Did you know that entire time that we were gone? And we, but we were in three different locations in that period of time. Moved. We actually ended up in the Northwest Pacific for four years. That entire time, Pastor Bill, every birthday and every anniversary, sent us a card. Not to me, not just to my wife, but to my two daughters. And it was always, finish well, God loves you. I mean, it was always a word of encouragement. Marilyn, we still have your card that you sent us the day we got here. And you're saying, so, so thankful to have you back. And it's... That, that kindness is beyond anything you could purchase, anything that's of value. I mean, that is priceless. And I thought about Pastor Bill never gave up on praying for us and showing kindness to us. And I think he does it to, he doesn't just do it to us. He does it to just about everybody. Now, if you didn't get a card, I'm sorry. He still loves you. <laughs> he just probably didn't have your address or didn't know how to track you down, but some people say, hey, I didn't get a car. Like, it's not kind to me. But he is, I promise. You know. So there's a lot there about kindness we're going to study. And, and a lot of examples of it. And may God help us, Lord, to be a kind people uh, that exhibit the very character of God, which is really kindness. So with that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this wonderful blessing to be together as your people we know you gathered us for a purpose um, everything you do is with purpose and and with tent and intent and i know that dear god that uh, you've given us some stuff here to help us to encourage us to challenge us i pray lord that holy spirit would work in our hearts and whatever area we need but lord most important we pray that christ will be lifted up uh, collectively and individually in our lives that all around us would be drawn to him May, dear God, you help us worship you in this hour as we sing songs, we fellowship, and we hear the preaching of your word. May, may it be, bring glory and honor to you, we pray, as we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.